Welcome to the She Heals the World talk show with Dr. S, the place to hear stories of heart-driven women creatively living free. Our episodes highlight conversations and insights that support the values of self-care, creative and personal freedom, slower living, happiness, health and wellness to help you live your absolute best life. To be a part of the movement and join the conversation, step inside our free Facebook group, She Heals the World, and say hello. It brings me great joy to bring you our next episode. Hey there, gorgeous. Thanks for listening to today's show. So if you have ever wondered what it takes to build a brick and mortar restaurant, you're going to want to listen in to today's episode. I have Emma Ryan, who is a wellness coach, and she's also the owner of Plant, a plant-based restaurant in Oklahoma, coming on the show to talk to us all about what it takes to build a brick and mortar startup. She's going to go through the nuts and bolts of what she did and how she got launched. She also shares her story about being a wellness coach. And now that her coaching practice is on a wait list, she talks you through how she got to that level and what's next for her. You are not going to want to miss this episode today. I am so glad that you're tuning in. She's coming up soon. Emma, welcome to the show. Yay, thank you. So excited to be here. How did you get started with the coaching? Let's start there. So um, I'm trying to decide where to start. Um, So I guess the first place is I was always into like cooking and nutrition my entire life. My dad was a chef like when he was my age. He had a catering company when he was 25. And so just growing up, I was always around food. I was always around Um, he was also in like the nutrition supplement world. So I grew up a lot around food and nutrition and I always thought I was doing everything right. Um, as everyone probably does when they're young and I was very, very sick. So I had cancer, um, at the age of 20 Mm. and then I also had a lot of autoimmune conditions starting at the age of 15 Mm. and food was, I mean, food was a lifestyle and I had never, put the two together. Like I had never realized that the food I put in my body is affecting how I feel. And I had a friend of mine one time in high school, actually, who said, I think you should maybe think about changing your diet. And those words like blew my mind because I was like, why would I do that? Mm-hmm. Um, it made no sense to me. But then after like it kind of, I let the idea kind of linger And a few days later, I decided that I was going to go completely plant-based for a year. And I was just going to give it a try. Mm. And after seven days, I felt better than I had ever felt in my entire life. Wow. Um, And I knew that I was on to something, and I didn't understand why. But then I just started studying and reading and watching videos and doing everything I could because I wanted to understand And so that just led me down this rabbit hole of nutrition and wellness. And so as soon as I was 18, actually I was 17 at the time, um, I got a job as a pastry chef for Matthew Kenny, which was in Oklahoma city at the time. Mm. And which is that if you're familiar with him, it's a all plant-based raw vegan restaurant concept. Mm. And so I loved that. I was learning a ton about the food and why we're doing it and what it's good for, and just all of the benefits of raw food. And then fast forward, I was kind of working through my own like healing journey. Um, and then I was diagnosed with cancer. So I knew that there was more to it than just the food. I knew there was 
an emotional component. I knew there was a lifestyle component. Um, and so then I was at this retreat in New York and there was someone on stage who was speaking and everything he said just resonated with me so well. And I was just, all I remember thinking is whatever he has, I want it. Mm. And I asked him if we could like go to coffee after. And he was like, yeah, of course. And turns out he was an IIN grad. So he had gone to the Institute for Integrative Nutrition Mm. and I was blown away. And so I knew that I, you know, I felt like that was like my next little token that I was supposed to take with me. So then I think that night I enrolled at IIN. (laughs) (laughs) I was like, I can't wait. I have to do it now. Yeah. Through that process, you know, cause I'd already, I already knew the nutrition side, a lot of it. Um, IIN just kind of put all the, buttoned it all up for me together. Mm -hmm. So, and I was doing that as I was going through like different treatments and things um, to heal my own self. And so that was really cool because I felt like at the beginning of IIN, it was kind of like putting the finishing touches on healing my own body and my own, um, you know, stuff that was going on. And then now I was going to learn how to help other people. And so as soon as I graduated from IIN, which was probably four years ago is when I started my coaching business. And that has been the biggest gift. I mean, it's the most rewarding thing, as a lot of you guys probably know, especially because a lot of you listening to this are also probably wellness coaches or health coaches, is that you just can't get better than helping someone else like reach their fullest potential. So I absolutely love being able to hold someone's hand as they go through similar situations that I was in at one point where I felt like I had no one to turn to. Mm. Um, Yeah. So that's been an incredibly rewarding experience and we've grown a lot. I have another health coach who works with me now. And so we're able to help more people and we do some online programs and different group programs um, as well. Mm. But the majority of it is definitely individual based for six to 12 months at a time. Nice. Now, it's so interesting that you have this beautiful story of starting your coaching practice. And I know we're going to talk about the brick and mortar, but I noticed for a lot of wellness coaches and even coaches in general, once they're done their training, they kind of feel like, okay, I have this really robust um, background and experience, but I don't know how to translate that into a running and working business. So what's it like? For you, like actually saying I'm a coach and starting to create income from that? Like, can you tell that maybe the story of your first client or maybe your first few clients just to give just some tips on how to get the ball rolling? Yeah. And so I'll give a little bit more backstory too. So whenever I decided to go plant-based, when I was 17, I started a blog Mm -hmm. and it was called, I think it was called Blossom by Health. And then I changed it to like the healthy shit. And then it was what it is now, which is Emma Ryan. And so I had kind of already had a very small following from the blog. Mm. Um, and then I had been working, like after I was a pastry chef at Matthew Kenny, I worked abroad uh, for a company in Amsterdam. And I was basically acting as a health coach for a company. And so I felt like I had done a lot of similar things and had similar experiences But now I had to do it for myself and I had to ask to get paid for what I wanted to do. (laughs) Mm. So it totally is different. It's a, it's a very weird feeling 
when you're trying to help someone for the first time, but yet you want them to write you a check in return. Yes. That and is such a big deal. Just yeah. the inner, like struggle that you go through with like, should I be charging for something that's yes. going to help other people? Totally. Yes. And I've even had, I mean, don't get me wrong. I have had, you know, I had a few, a few people in my early beginning stages who just thought that that was wrong, not clients, mm. like peers, definitely not clients, peers. They yeah. were like, wait, you're going to help people that charge them that much money for it. Mm. Um, but the thing is, is at the end of the day, we all, I mean, 90% of us probably listen to Brene Brown and all these really cool people, but at the end of the day, you're worth it. Like at the end of the day, you can't help them unless they help you. And it yeah. has to be an equal energy exchange. I think my first few clients, you know, I randomly, I was like, okay, I'm ready. I don't know how to start, but I know I have, I have my website. I have all my forms ready. I got my client folders. I was all, you know, jacked up. I was super excited. And I was like, I'm just going to put it out there that I'm taking clients. And I sure enough, I did. I posted on social media and I put out an email blast to like the hundred followers that I had from a blog. And sure enough, I had two clients the next day. Wow. And so that was amazing. And that was like, to me, like confirmation, like from the universe that like, yes, you're on the right path. Yes. And so that was incredible. And then those two clients told their friends and, you know, a couple months later I had two more clients and then, then you post, you know, success stories and you get two more. And so of course there's slow times and there's busy times. And the first year or two is just kind of crazy because you never know what you're doing. You never know what to expect. You question everything. Um, and that's just the fun part of it, I guess. (laughs) (laughs) Looking back, it's like, it was just fun and wild. And that's what business, you know, entrepreneurship takes. Yeah. So when did you know you were ready to hire an assistant, well, not really an assistant, but a co-coach to also Um, handle the client demand. So last year, my third year in business, I could not accept any more clients and I was putting them on a waiting list. Mm. Um, and that was a great feeling. I was like, oh yeah, I can get you started in three months because that's when this person ends. And the truth of the matter is I could have taken more clients. Like I was only working with, I can't remember if it was 12 or 15, but yeah. But to me, when I go above 12 or 15, it's really hard to keep up with them. Yeah. It's hard to remember their names. It's hard to remember what food allergies each person has or what the kid's name is. I mean, and my coaching is so personal that I want to know those things because that's part of what works for me. Mm -hmm. And so if I go above that, I'm like my value and I'm reducing the impact I have on my clients. Yeah. And so I just refused to go over that number and it was totally fine to put people on a list and say, okay, I can get you started in a couple of months. But then I started to get people who couldn't wait a couple of months. They needed it now. And as much as I would love to help them, I would rather have someone else be able to help them quicker. Yes. And then in addition, in addition to that, I knew the restaurant was opening in, you know, about a year from that point. Mm-hmm. And I knew that I was going to have to take a little bit of a step back for the first month um, to make sure the restaurant was off the ground before I could accept new clients. And so I just thought, 
this is the time I'm going to find something who I could, you know, take under my wing, who's all already done the training, who doesn't want to have their own business, but who does want to be a health coach. Yes. And so that's what I did. And her name is Allie Cristelli and she is phenomenal. She mm-hmm. did the nutrition program with the Mayo Clinic. So mm-hmm. very, very similar like concepts and mindsets. Um, and we really, you know, we, I, th- I think we both bring different things to the table that sometimes I want to pick her brain and sometimes she wants to pick mine. Yeah. And that's super beneficial just to have someone to bounce ideas off of with clients. Mm-hmm. Beautiful. Well, Emma, it sounds yeah. like everything you touch turns to gold. So, <laughs> tell, <laughs> so tell us about the transition to the restaurant, because again, going back to the wellness coaches and the background of having a health and a health and wellness kind of resume, a lot of people feel like the only thing they can do is coaching and a great way to scale coaching, which, you know, I teach a lot of my clients is to do online programs and do online courses and expand your team. But there's this whole other industry of things you can do to really help you live out your mission and your calling if, if you are called to the health and wellness space. So how did the restaurant come about and like, what was that like? Yeah. So, you know, for years, I always knew I wanted a restaurant at some, like some day. Mm. I always thought, so I'm 25 right now. And I always thought maybe when I'm like 35 or 40, Mm. um, but I knew that someday I just thought it would be fun. Like to me, a restaurant is fun. And if that's its sole purpose, then that's great. And anyway, I teach cooking classes. Um, I teach workshops, which is kind of like my marketing tool for my coaching business. Mm-hmm. And anyway, people come to these cooking classes and they're always like, oh, you need to have a restaurant because we want to eat this food every day, not just the four times a year that you decide to teach. Yeah. And I'm always like, yes, yeah, someday, someday. And then I have clients who have always kind of joked around with, oh, we'd love to invest in you if you decide to ever have a restaurant. And then I don't know something hit me last year. Um, I was just like, you know, I have all these ideas and I think it's time to put them on paper. And so then I finally started, you know, thinking about names and writing down my ideal menu and just kind of snowballed. And sure enough, like within a few weeks, I had a business plan and a budget and projections. (laughs) I had all these things done because when you're passionate about something, once you start it, you just can't stop. And Then I'm trying to think, I found, um, I was actually supposed to go into a food hall at first, um, which is a concept with 11 restaurants under one roof. Mm -hmm. And I got it, I got accepted. I had a kitchen, I was building it out. Um, we were supposed to open in like six months at the time. And then something just didn't feel right. Um, it was very, it was a very interesting kind of process that I went through because I was so excited to open this concept. And I had the space and I had the clients and I had all the things ready to go and something was just not right. And I didn't know if it was fear or if it was just like, I wasn't supposed to do this, but I knew in my gut, I was not supposed to open up in that space. Mm. And sure enough, I pulled out, like I told them, you know, I, I can't do this. It's not right. Never mind. I'm not opening. And the next day, the perfect location became available on the market. Wow. And I had, it was the most random thing because I had a friend of mine who we were were more like acquaintances 
and he called me and he had, no one even knew that I had decided not to open in the original location. And so, because the community already knew I was on news channels, it was in a newspaper. I mean, it had already been highly promoted mm. and then I was taking it back. <laughs> Just kidding. <laughs> I'm like, JK, not quite ready. Um, need some time. <laughs> and like, and I was, I was worried about what are people going to think? Do they think I don't have my, you know, my shit together? Do they think yes. it's not working? Yeah. Um, but really it was just a gut feeling. And anyway, my friend called and said, Emma, this space downtown is available. It has your name written on it. Like you have got to go see it today. And I went and saw it and I think I signed the lease the next day. Um, and so, and then we started construction and now we're open. And so that was probably, it took us about four months with construction to open. So I delayed my opening a few months, but it's the perfect location. It's the best space. It fits the brand. Mm -hmm. It's everything I envisioned and more. And so, and I think what I can say on that is coming from a coaching background where we're service industry based, um, the business mindset does not always have to be there, to be honest with coaching. Mm -hmm. Um, it does to an extent, but not like it does with a restaurant, in my opinion. And so even though I have learned a lot and I've had to learn a lot on the business side in terms of, you know, financials and budgets and estimates and build outs and all these things that go into your first brick and mortar, which I'm happy to dive into. Yeah. There's still, you're still a person and you still know how to follow your intuition because I think a lot of people who were purely business minded would not have made the decision to stop what they were doing and open somewhere else. Yes. Um, and so that to me is like a key point of why I think this works is, you know, for someone like myself, who's truly not all that business minded, I can be when I need to be. Um, but because I was able to follow my intuition and my gut and listen to what, you know, my heart was saying, I was able to open something better than I ever expected versus mm-hmm. following the original plan and sticking to what I said I was originally going to do. Yeah. I love that you made that point. And I feel like that that point can be such a game changer for so many people. I can't even tell you how many calls I get on and folks are like, well, you just tell me what to do. Like, tell yeah. me where to go. And I'm like, <laughs> My darling, this is your journey. This is your calling. I can tell you what worked for me. I can give you the guide, but this is about you empowering and knowing yourself and being able to trust yourself so that you make the right decisions for your work. And like without that, you will never be able to do anything. And so I just, I feel like that is just such an important piece that people really need to think about. How do you build trust within yourself? How do you strengthen your intuition? How do you start to know that like your heart is guiding you towards your greatest purpose? You just got to listen. So that, yeah, super, super helpful, Emma. And so I know you're going to give us some tips on how like to open a brick and mortar and we don't have to go into the weeds too much, but I really want the women who are thinking about using their coaching certification in a different way or kind of dabbling into more of the traditional pathways in business, since you have a background that's similar to theirs, I'm just wondering if you could give us some, some tips on things that they may need to know going into this whole brick and mortar venture. (laughs) Yeah. 
Yeah. Okay. So let's see. I'm going to make like a little bullet point list here. Yes. Um, That'd be great. Um, step one is to find a really good attorney. <laughs> mm, yes. Because I truthfully, my attorney, I feel like helped guide my entire process. Yeah. Um, which may or may not be normal, but I didn't know where to start. I I was sitting here with a menu, a idea, a restaurant name, and a wish, you know, like a dream. And I was like, okay, where do I start? <laughs> yeah. And I had a friend of mine who owned a business and she said, here, call my attorney. He's the best. He works with small businesses. He works with startups. Um, he knows all about brick and mortars and opening businesses and all these things. So I called him and he was like, okay, great. He's like, so what are your goals? You know, he like truly sat with me and went through what I was hoping to achieve and said, okay, well, your first step is to find, you know, to put together your projections, to put together your budget, to put together how much is this business going to cost you to start? How much money do you need from investors versus how much are you going to put into the table versus how much of a loan do you maybe need? And so that was like step one for me was to find a good attorney. Step two was to really get my financials in place. So to figure out exactly what I wanted, how much was it going to cost? Where is the money going to come from? Whether it's yourself, investors, a loan, whatever it is, where are you going to get the money? Um, or where do you hope to get the money? Because you might not have it at the time. And then, you know, in that process, because I had to know how much money I needed, I had to find a contractor who could give me an estimate on the build out that I want wanted, you mm -hmm. know, and so you had to do that. I had to get in touch with an architect to, to give me an estimate on my design. I had to get in touch with all of these different people, you know, all the equipment companies to give me an estimate on the kitchen equipment that I needed. Mm -hmm. Um so I had to do all of these steps um, to build the financial projections and budgets that I needed to move forward. Yeah. So just that one step of getting all the budgets in place, you're going to get 20 things done because you have to contact all of your other vendors. So whether if it's a restaurant, like for me, it's, you know, mainly the build out the architect, the design, the interior furnishings, and the kitchen equipment, and then your staff. So you kind of have to go through this um, visionary experience where you project how much all of this is going to cost you, and you're never going to be right. So, mm -hmm. so it doesn't matter because you're always going to be off. And people told me that at one point, and I was like, no, I'm a very OCD and like well-planned individual. I think I'm going to get this right. And people just laughed because they were like, no, 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 honey. Like, you're always going to be over budget. Right. And I was like, no, no, no. That's not going to happen to me. And it does. <laughs> um, because you just don't expect, you don't expect the freezer to break the day you open or the AC unit to not work or yeah. the yeah. fire alarm to go off during opening hours or to lose power and be out of service. I mean, so all of these things will go wrong that you can't control. Yeah. But even during construction build out, like things will always get delayed. You always need more money than you think. Um, so always give yourself cushion. And I think the rule of thumb, at least that I've heard is 20%. Mm. So if you make a budget, add 20% and that's what you want to, that's what the money you want to ask for. And so 
anyway. Um, well, no, that's important talking about the budget part because I think that's going to be what holds a lot of people up from getting started because we right. know brick and mortar is expensive. And yeah, I, I'm not sure exactly the best way for them to go about getting that startup money because so many people do it in many different ways. Like some people have a really successful coaching or online business and they use the cash from that to start their brick and mortar. If that's something they want to do for some people, they'll go to investors for some people they'll go to the bank because they have really good relationships there. And so I'm just wondering for somebody who's starting up, like what was your best strategy for getting a large amount of startup capital? So I, I did. So I'll tell you what I did. I did. Um, I have five investors mm-hmm. and then the rest I have on a bank, on an SBA, a small business association loan from the bank. Yeah. And yeah. so I never, I went, I, I toyed with different ideas for months before actually making um, a decision on what I wanted to do, because I knew that I wanted to keep the most equity, right? So I could be the majority owner. Mm-hmm. Um, I didn't want investors who wanted any voice in the business. I basically wanted an angel investor or a silent investor. Mm-hmm. Um, and I didn't want them to be large investors because if they go over a certain percentage of the cost of the business, then they have a voice like legally. Right. If like, say something's going to cost you a hundred grand, if they put in 50, well, that's too much. So they now are basically a partner. Mm-hmm. Um, so anyway, I wanted really small investors. And the only purpose of having cash investors was because that was the loan requ- or the, the cash required to put down on the loan. Mm, yes. Brilliant. Brilliant. Yes. So I, I really want people to get that because Basically what you're saying is, and I'm sure you had to come out of pocket for a lot of things, but yes, for, but essentially you can, if you can acquire a loan and you need a down payment to secure that loan, you don't necessarily have to come out of your pocket. You could use investors to get that startup capital and Absolutely. that could really help you launch. And, and another important piece that you said here is that always, always, always make sure that you have legal advice when you are going through this process, because you don't want to approach somebody who's like, oh, I really like what you're doing. I want to invest in your business because for them, it looks good to have this profitable business or this really cool business on their investment portfolio. And hopefully they'll be able to make some money on their investment. You don't want to get into those kind of conversations and you don't have the right legal stuff set up. And so anything can go wrong. So I just- I think those two pieces are are like the primary pieces for anybody who is getting started. So yes. with investors, now there are lots of things, at least from the university level, where um, you know when I when I went to Columbia, I know they would have certain nights that would expose people to these like really high level folks. You can network, you can talk to faculty, you can talk to students, and kind of find people who are willing and interested in supporting your work. But if you're like out of a structured university setting, what would be your advice for the best way for them to find investors and people who are interested in supporting their idea? So my first step, um, I created like an investor pitch book, essentially, Mm -hmm. which talked about me, my background, the vision for plant, um, obviously the financials for plant, their, you know, the return on investment, 
all of these things. But really, more than anything, that pitch book pitched the brand. It pitched the mission, the values, what we're trying to do in the city. It was more so about the impact we could have on the city than it was about the return on investment. Yeah. And even though people would look at that and tell me to change it, I was doing that for a purpose because Mm -hmm. I want to attract people who are in it for the same reason that I'm in it. Yes. And if I have an investor who is only in it for their ROI, I don't really care to Mm -hmm. be partnered with you Yeah. um, because we're doing so much more than that. Yeah. And I think by doing it, by having a mission and following our purpose and and doing it passion-based, we'll get the ROI. I'm not worried about that because the numbers are great. Yeah. And they always have been great, but that doesn't need to be the focal point. Mm. And at least not for me. Yeah. That is not the case for everyone. I will say that. But for me, plant, and again, I am in Oklahoma City. Um, there are very, very, very few health conscious restaurants. There's maybe one or one or two others. Um, we are a city that is lacking in health food with people that are actually educated and can tell you about it and yeah. can help you walk away feeling better. Mm-hmm. And to me, that is our sole purpose is to help serve the community and educate them yeah. and be a good, a good space, like a safe space for people to come and eat and not have to worry about cross contamination and all of these things. Mm-hmm. And so if I could find my goal was like, if I can find investors who also believe in that mission They'll want to be a part of it, no matter if they get um, a four percent ROI or a twelve and a half percent ROI. Yes, and yeah. that's exactly what I did. And so I put I put together this pitch book that again was very emotionally based. Not yeah. there was data, there was the financials, but not that wasn't on the front page. That was the, mm-hmm. the last page. Mm-hmm. And <clears throat> I just started sending it to old clients of mine that I knew would be interested. Um, I sent it to family and friends and just asked, Hey, I know this might not be for you, but if you know of anyone who's interested in this, please pass it along with my contact information. Mm. So I just tried to pick people who I trusted, who wouldn't put it out there on social media, but who would maybe really take the time to think about, okay, who do I know who might have an extra $10,000 sitting around who would want to be a part of this. Yeah. And so I got really, really lucky and really blessed with great, great people. Mm. All of them I knew beforehand, except for two of them. Mm -hmm. So so three of them, um, one of them was a good friend of mine who owns a fitness studio. One of them is an old client and also a good friend. Another one is a a family that I was actually a nanny for when I was in high school. So like really old time friends. And then the other two were um, friends of friends. Like I was introduced to them by friends of mine who owned businesses who they actually invested in other businesses as well. Yeah. And, you know, those people like, you know, the wife was celiac or the, the dad was vegetarian or whatever. There was always a commonality between these people that made them emotionally invested in plant. Mm, beautiful. Um, so none of them come from, you know, are sitting on the other side of the table with nothing in common with this place, which I think is really special. Yeah. And I so just, I yeah, just want to call out the skill set that you have of 
being able to communicate a compelling vision and having the confidence to have conversations about the work that you're doing. And I want to call this out because I feel like this is a place where so many people struggle. Everybody wishes that their business would just get built on its own. But I want them to pay attention to the skills that you exhibit so beautifully as you successfully launched your coaching practice and now successfully launched your brick and mortar. And it is really grounded in the ability to be able to say, this is my idea and tell people about it and inspire and encourage those people to tell other people. You didn't just kind of sit around and wait for the clients to come to you. You went out there, you looked for clients, you talked to people, you let them know what you were doing. And the same thing with your brick and mortar business. You had a vision, you were inspired, you put something together, you talked to people, you asked those people to tell other people. Now you have investors, then you're going to have customers. And so I just, it's so simple when we talk it through, but it is really where a lot of women get really nervous because they're not confident in themselves or confident in their work. And so they don't talk about it. And if they don't talk about it, it doesn't go anywhere. So just, you know, I just wanted to really highlight that because I think it's, it's a place where a lot of people fall. Yeah. Well, thank you. Yeah. Yeah. I agree though. Yeah. So what other few tips do you have for us? I mean, you talked about the financials, you talked about the investors, you talked about kind of getting started with the vision and your legal team, anything else now that this is so fresh that, um, you know, at a high level, you can kind of tell people so that they know what to expect in, in this, in this kind of journey. <laughs> well, I mean, I would just tell you to expect chaos. <laughs> I, in a very positive way. I mean that so sincerely. Mm. It's, it is the wildest thing you will experience, but it is also so fun. I don't have kids, so I can't relate it to like being a mother. Yeah. But part of me feels like it's got to be kind of similar mm. because you have... 20,000 things going wrong all at the same time, but yet you're kind of sitting here and you're like, but this is pretty freaking amazing. (laughs) Yes. Yes. And Mm -hmm. so it's just funny. Um, but no, I think my, like the main thing people should know if they want to open in brick and mortar is a don't give up, like just keep going. And there's always a way there's always around the hurdle that you're facing you just have to ask for it and you have to ask for help and be my main lesson through all of this, which I kind of explained earlier was knowing when to really listen to your gut versus listen to logic. Yeah. Um, because there might be times, <clears throat> and I wrote a blog post about this, but about like pulling a resistance band, you know, there's, there's a difference between pushing through the uncomfortable and then pushing through something that's really not right. Mm. Um, and really learning to stay in tune with yourself the entire time, even though you're stressed and you're sleep deprived and you can't think clearly and all of these different things come into play, but knowing how to come back to your center ground and ask yourself, you know, am I pushing through, am I pulling a resistance band or am I trying to beat through a brick wall? Yeah. Um, because there is a difference and sometimes you just have to turn, like you just have to re-navigate and mm-hmm. that's okay. Um, but it's worth it. It's totally worth it. Yeah. 
Beautiful, Emma. So I have one more logistical question before we go into if yeah. you could give yourself any piece of advice, because I totally want to hear your take on that. But I think a lot of folks also get hung up on um, the recipe part. Um, there are a lot of folks who want to start their own recipe books or their own, um, you know, restaurants or cafes. And I feel like there's such legality and red tape around, like, I don't want to share my recipes or what if somebody takes my recipes? And when you're in a restaurant, you have to share them with your cooking staff and with the people who are going to be selling the food and giving the ingredient list to the customers just in case there is an allergy. So do you have any tips or advice on like how you handle the whole recipe piece of, of your business? Yeah, no, you're, you are 100% accurate. I mean, yeah, my employees signed a thing saying that they won't share the recipes, but you know, at the end of the day, I truthfully don't worry about it. Yeah. Um, sure. I spent a lot of time and a lot of years training and creating and all of these things to have all the recipes we have. But you know, at the end of the day, if someone wants to learn and make them at home, they're going to. Right. Uh, recipes are out there. I mean, Truth be told, some of the recipes that are on my restaurant menu are already on my website, and they've mm -hmm. been on my website, which is a free website for recipes and blogs and all sorts of stuff, for yeah. years. And yet people still come to the restaurant, and they're like, how do you make this? <laughs> and I'm like laughing inside because they're like people I've known for years. And I'm like, the recipe has been there the entire time. Right, right. It's not a but, huge secret, right? <laughs> yeah, like, to me, it's like, I mean, it's not that big of a deal. But I, I don't know. I mean, people are going to come back because we all think, oh, we want the recipe, and then we're not going to have to eat out. But that's not the world we live in. We live in a convenience-based world where people yeah. are busy, and they're going to come back to your restaurant whether they have the recipe at home or not. Right, right. Yeah. And also, if you Googled, like, you know, let's think. Okay, so I have this one salad dressing that everyone's like, oh, my gosh, I've got to have this. I've got to bottle this and sell it, and I'm not going to. But if they were to search a similar title on Google, I'm sure yeah. they're going to find a recipe that's, like, maybe one ingredient is different. But it's going to be 99% close to the one that I have because that's just how many recipes are out there, right? Yes. And so yeah. even if you think you have like the most perfect, simple or perfect, you know, recipe that's going to make you a millionaire, like I would just tell you that probably don't bank on it as much because people <laughs> are going to find recipes. <laughs> <laughs> that was the best advice of the show. Just don't bank on it. <laughs> Do your thing. Focus on other stuff. I mean, it could happen, but it's very rare. So just keep moving forward. <laughs> You know, I focus more on, okay, yes, the food is delicious, but more than that, like, what's our people, what are our people like? How's the customer service? What is the, yes. the customer experience as soon as they walk in the door? Do they learn something? Are they inspired by something? Yeah. What's going to get them to come back other than the food? Because there has to be more than just the food. Yes. Yes. Beautiful. And so, Emma. yeah, for me, it's like, you can love your recipes all day long, but they're not going to, they're not going to be the only thing to your business. Did your attorney make you patent all of them or were you okay with just using the ones from your blog and like letting your business run from that? I mean, obviously with your non-disclosures, but were you yeah. okay with sharing them? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I did not patent any of them. That's good. That's good. And I only ask that because 
again, with legal costs for women who are starting up to think about having to like trademark and patent every single thing, I'm sure would be a nightmare and a whole lot of money. So that is another way, you know, not save costs, but you may not need to do that. Right. And like in today's world, so at the end of the day, you want to, essentially people are patenting recipes or whatever. Um, because if the business you have to, I mean, realistically, you have to look at your business as if you were to sell your business, is it going to be, is it going, is it sellable? You know, how much would I sell it for in in 10 years? Right. Not that anyone, I mean, I never in a million years would would think about selling plant, at least not in this day in my life, but I know that that's how I have to look at the business. And so but at the end of the day, right now, restaurants go for sale all the time, and all of those original recipes that they worked so hard on and spent hours and tons of dollars patenting get thrown in the trash. Yeah. Because if a new buyer comes in or a new chef comes in, those recipes aren't worth anything because they don't care. They want to start their own. Mm. And so to me, there's just not there's not a financial return or a purpose of pat spending money patenting recipes that aren't going to be worth anything at the end of the day. Mm-hmm. Wow. In my opinion, maybe in yeah. another situation, it would be worth something, but for me, I can hand them over and someone could choose to use them or not. Yes. Yes. Emma, you are like a wealth of knowledge and experience and advice, and I'm sure you have saved a lot of people a lot of time (laughs) just by telling your story here. So thank you so much for coming on the show. If you could give your 10-year younger self any piece of advice, what would it be? You know, I think just to always believe in yourself, like never... Never doubt what you're capable of because we grow, we live in a world where you can tell your wildest dreams to your best friend and they might look at you and say, really? Mm. Um, and that's just the world we live in. And the truth is no one knows what you're capable of but you. Yeah. And that's really hard to, to always live if you have to pull energy and live within yourself. Not saying that anyone does, mm. but if if that is you, like if at the end of the day, it's you sitting on your couch and you're like, these are my dreams, but no one believes in me. You need to believe in yourself because you can still do it. As long as you believe in you and as long as you have the passion and the gusto to keep going, it's yours to have. Mm, it's already done. It's yours. Yep. Lovely. How can we support you? I can, I've never been to Oklahoma, but I can tell you, I cannot wait to go <laughs> and visit plant for sure. So yes. audience support you, please drop your links, tell them where to find you, how to follow you, give it to yes. them. <laughs> I love it. So my personal website, my health coaching, my blog is Emma Ryan VC. So it's the website is www.emma-ryan.com. On Instagram, it's Emma Ryan VC for Vitality Coaching. And then my restaurant is Plant. So it's www.plantokc.com. And our Instagram handle is plantokc. Well, there you have it. Thanks so much for listening to the show today. And as always, for more resources, as you continue to live out your beautiful mission of healing the world and grow your beautiful business, you can head to www.sheheelstheworld.com 
forward slash freebie to see what new resources I have in store for you. Thanks for listening. Tell a friend. And I can't wait to see you at the next episode.